Welcome to episode two of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. For those people who love to travel and those who love having a cold beer wherever they are in the world, this is the perfect place for you. Our guest today is Levi Grubb. Levi is a lover of craft beer, an expert in the use of miles and points for travel, a father of four, and a newly minted home brewer. Perfect for our show. He's a good friend of mine who I've traveled with before, have plans to travel with again, and I'll always be happy to share a great conversation over a great beer with him. Levi and I are going to run through his new hobby of homebrewing, some of his recent travels, how he mixes his love of beer with his family responsibilities, and more. Just one quick warning before we get started with the interview, though. We recorded this episode outside at Powers Farm and Brewery. You remember them from episode one, right? Well, this interview was done after my interview with brewer owner Kevin, and by the time we did it, things were getting a lot busier. So in addition to the occasional wind blowing past our mics, you'll hear some background noise coming from the other customers who are outside enjoying their beers on that beautiful day. It shouldn't be too distracting, but it's definitely there, so I thought I should mention it. Alright, now you're ready to go, so sit back, relax, maybe crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy my conversation with Levi Grubb. So, Levi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, first first things first, we'll start out with the beer side of things. I want to get into uh, a little bit of the home brewing that you're doing. Before we came out here today, we, we tasted a couple of your beers, and they're, they're definitely uh, decent beers, and I, I think they're, they're going to get pretty good pretty quick um, from what you're doing. So I, I guess first question, why, why did you decide to start getting into home brewing, or how did you get started with that? Well, you know, I just had our fourth child, and I am not able to get out very often anymore, so I've been looking at things to do at home. Um, home brewing seemed like a, a good option, and uh, my birthday came around. My wife bought me a kit. I started. I've got two in the fridge now that we sampled, and I've got six more coming up, uh, and I hope they turn out good too because it'll keep me going, that's for sure. So you didn't start slowly, you just kind of jumped just, right into it? I just jumped right into it. I, I got excited. Uh, the day the, the kit came, I think it was 30 degrees outside, I went out in the garage, I brewed the first uh, batch, and I didn't stop from there. So when, how long ago was that? How long have you been home brewing? When did you start? Well, my daughter was born January 24th. We came home on the 26th. I probably started on the 28th when it showed up at the front door. Wow, so that's that's pretty quick. It was and, absolutely quick. And with the complete lack of sleep of a newborn, so. Yeah, my wife take care of, takes care of most of that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good deal. Now, you also work a full-time job, yes? I do. Okay, so it, this is just a, a spare time thing that you're kind of doing, a, aside from the f four kids, aside from the, the family life, and aside from the full-time job, so. Well, two of the kids, they, they nap from one to five every day, so I find that I only need about an hour and a half on each side of the brewing process um, so it found it was a good option on the weekends uh, usually I'll have some meat going in the smoker while I'm brewing a beer on the other side and I do that during nap time and uh, it works out so nap time beer that's a it, it, I sense a brewery name there I nap should time name, beer. <laughs> I should name my first pale ale nap time beer nap time beer uh, so the the system that you're brewing on, obviously homebrew is a lot smaller than a, a commercial brewery, but how, how much can you brew at once or how big is that system? Uh, 
Generally, the, the, the packets that I buy are five gallons. Um, I've been doing a few of the one gallon ones as well, just to, to sample some different options when you get past the first fermentation stage. So I'll take four gallons into the fermenter and put another one into the to a small batch and add some grapefruit to it or add, uh, I added some guava the other day to a different one. Um, and I'll find out how that turns out in about two weeks. Yeah, that's uh, that's always fun with with home brewing or with brewing in general. Is when you try something new, you you try it and you're excited to find out about it, and then you don't for a couple of weeks, and then you can actually taste the beer and you realize that that thing you did two weeks ago may be good or maybe bad. So well, the good thing with the one gallons is if it's bad, you can just throw it away and try again. It's the yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of loss there. No, but if you lose a five gallon uh, bucket, it's it's not good. Yeah, and that gets I mean bigger and bigger as you get into the the small breweries. Um, like the one we're at here today, or if you, you get up into the more commercial breweries, if they lose a batch, then it's thousands and thousands of dollars. So it, it's nice to be starting on a small level. Yeah, I think my, the most I've put into one five gallon was $35. Yeah, so that's a, not a huge loss in the scheme of things. I, I right. mean, ideally you'd rather turn that $35 into beer, but if you lose it, it's not a, not a huge deal. So Absolutely. a good place to start. When you're uh, choosing your beer styles or what you're going to brew you said you have uh, six different ones going now what how do you do you just randomly pick or are there styles that you like best that you're trying to brew first or you're just trying to do a variety I generally enjoy IPAs and pale ales the most um, I did do a Pilsner and I, I did that because it was a it was a Czech Pils that I believe is a knockoff of Pilsner or Kell I actually thought of you when we were uh, when I selected that one because we're going to be doing Pilsen Fest here in uh, October coming up. Yeah, just a, a little background for the listeners. We're, we're doing a trip. Um, it's a, there's a whole bunch of us going, but uh, Levi and I are, are two of the people going to uh, Oktoberfest in Munich this fall. And then we're going to go over to uh, Pilsen Czech Republic and we'll go to Pilsner Fest there. And uh, that, that was the inspiration for this beer, I'm guessing. I, I copied the recipe for sure. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so they, it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. As, as far as, so we've gotten a little bit of the, how you're picking your beers, how do you choose what to eat with it? Because I assume a lot of these beers you're, you're having with dinner, you're having as you, you hang out around the house. Is there something that's, that's your favorite? You mentioned that you, you will smoke some meats while you're doing it. So we'll, we'll have nap time pale ale and uh, nap time barbecue ribs or what what's your favorite to eat along with the brews you're brewing uh well generally when i'm smoking meat i have stayed away from the brisket i tried one uh mostly smoked chicken i do ribs i've done sausage on the smoker um basically any time that i can get the kettle going along with the smoker i'm happy i think i'm going to be upgrading my smoker to a traeger uh, which is a pellet smoker here soon so that I can finally finally hit those briskets because I tried it once, I was up at 3 a.m. It was not done at 7 p.m. for dinner and I haven't tried since. Yeah, I know that's a tough, you have to put a lot of time into that. It reminds me one time when I was, uh, uh, back when I was living in Pennsylvania, I decided to make uh, croissants from scratch and there, it was a recipe and the prep time I think listed on the recipe was 30 hours and it was, I, I got up two or three times during the night to add butter and turn them as they rose and I ended up with a buttery delicious lump of dough because it never really rose the way it should and I thought to myself, 
I'll just go to France if I want a good croissant. <laughs> I know it's a lot easier than trying to make them on my own. There's lots of pellet smokers on the market now, and I think that's the way to go, especially when you have to do things overnight. You don't have to wake up. Um, you can let them cook for 16, 18 hours, whatever you have to do. And it, it takes about an hour and a half to, to brew your batch, to actually boil it, turn it into wort, get it into your fermenter. You let it sit there for two weeks. You put it in the secondary if you need to. Uh, and then it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to bottle it. So the timing of it is, is perfect uh, for sitting out there drinking a beer, smoking meat during nap time. That sounds like kind of the ideal situation. And I know uh, you, I, I, I saw your system earlier today, so it, it looks like you've got a pretty good, pretty compact system that you can pull out and get going pretty easily. Like you said, while the, while the kids are napping and uh, seems like a good way to spend the time. Let's let's transition a little bit. We've talked a little bit about your home brewing, and uh, we got a, a bonus uh, barbecue lesson there, and what kind of smokers to use. But let's let's talk a little bit about your travel, because I, I mean, this is a, a travel podcast as well as a beer podcast. And like I said, the reason I have you on is because I know that you're you're doing this home brewing, but you also the way we met was through a traveler, a group of not hardcore as much as heavy travelers. We, tra we travel the world a lot. We take advantage of loyalty programs as far as miles and points. And we met uh, in a group that, that kind of talks about how to maximize those programs. So to start, I took a look at the, the map at your house when we were there earlier, but how, how many countries have you been to at this point? So far to date, I've been to 39 countries. Um, I'm gonna hit number 40 at the end of next week when I take a flight from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates to Oman. I'll be flying into Muscat and I'm doing that so that I can finally get over to Qatar, or Qatar, I should say, Qatar, uh, and fly Qatar Airlines, hopefully on the Q Suites back home. So by the end of next week, I should have countries 40 and 41 knocked off the list. Oh, that'll be nice. And you're, you're flying the Q Suites uh, right into Dulles? Right now, I'm flying on their old 777 into Boston. But I'm really hoping that those Q Suites open up between now and then, either to LA, I think it's Dulles, or Chicago that I have the options of flying the Q Suites on. So looking for, uh, when, we, when he says open up, he's, he's looking for award availability on those flights so that he can use uh, the miles or points to, yeah. to fly those flights. I used American miles, 70,000 uh, American miles to fly Qatar Airlines. And as long as my, my arrival and my departure stays the same, I should be able to change those free of charge. Yeah, and that's one, one great benefit to the American Airlines system that I think people don't take advantage of enough is you can, when, when you're booking a flight with their points, you can, as long as you have that, that same destination and that same takeoff point, you can change everything in between there and they don't charge you any fees for that. Something to note when you're looking at the destination, um, you're, you're flying into Dulles because it's the, the closest DC airport to you. If you were to change that and fly into Reagan or fly into Baltimore, all those are, although those are all considered DC airports, American will charge you a change fee if you switch when, which one of those airports, which is, they used to not do that, and I was so sad when they switched and started doing it. I'm actually flying Boston to DCA, so I think oh, that, so that Dulles direct flight's out of the question. I'm looking yeah, at either LA you, or Chicago. Yeah, you would have to pay the fee on that, exactly. sadly. Um, Although if it opened up and I had to, I would probably pay the fee just to be able to fly Q Suites over the uh, the old Cutter product. 
Yeah, and that's I mean that's the kind of crazy things our group does where you, you mentioned LA, which is on the opposite side of the country as us, and absolutely and didn't even bat an eye. You're like, yeah, if I have to fly through LA to get home, that makes sense. <laughs> that's most people would say, no, I'm never going to do that. But the the, the Q Suites isn't an, an absolutely amazing business class product. I think my only option would be Alaska to fly LA to DCA. There's no American Airlines flight there either. No, no, I don't. I don't think there's a direct. You'd have to fly through Charlotte or fly Something through. Like it could be a I'd whole be mess getting that. home, but you know, whatever you have to do to get home. Exactly. I mean, you fly a lot of. We're talking about the Q Suites, which is a, a business class product, which is really kind of almost as nice as first class on a lot of airlines. But um, you fly typically as much as you can in business class or do you fly a lot of economy class when you're doing awards? Uh, it depends. Now Now that I have four kids, I'm looking a lot more at economy flights for getting everybody where I need to be for the cheapest uh, price possible. We do, my wife and I will do a couple trips a year on our own. I don't know if this year is going to happen. Um, I do have a flight next week to Abu Dhabi in business class, obviously flying home on Qatar in business. Later this year on the way to Oktoberfest, we're flying business, but that's without my wife. The only trip we have planned is an economy for the family this year so far since I had to cancel our South American trip uh, in April because my daughter won't have her shots yet, let alone her passport oh, or her global yeah. entry. So yeah, when it's with the family, we have done, we have done business. We flew uh, to Tokyo last year on American in those pods on the uh, Dreamliner, the, the 789, which was really, really nice, but we've also flown um, some of the not-so-nice business products with the kids. Uh, United comes to mind on the way home from London. Um, yeah, I was I was in one of their uh, business... I think it's 242. I was on one of their business first flights, I think they call it, out of, out of Paris a few years ago, and I was so sad because my ideal itinerary was going to be uh, Lufthansa first class. Uh, I ended up on United business first, and... The poor, the person in in the lounge where they were rebooking the flight for me was like, oh, so we still have this first class product. And I said, no, no, you don't. <laughs> I found I only have two kids, but I found it's, it's significantly easier to find those economy flights. And when I can find business, that's great. If we're, if we're going to Asia, if we're flying into Hong Kong and can get four business seats on a, a Cafe Pacific or something like that, that's great. But if we want to go somewhere and there's economy seats available, I'm not afraid to book them. I, I must say that last October, my wife and I had a, our baby moon for the fourth kid coming in. Well, it was supposed to be February. She ended up coming in January, but uh, we flew Emirates first class, uh, Dallas to Dubai on the A380. So I got to take a shower in the air for the first time. Um, I swore to myself that I would never fly any other way but that's not logical. And uh, two months later, I flew economy all the way to Australia and back with four or with three kids. And it's funny you say that, never fly any other way. The, the first time my kids flew uh, business class to Hong Kong, when the flight landed, my son took off his noise canceling headphones and looked over at me and said, I don't ever want to fly on any other airplane ever again. When we were, when we were loading up uh, on our American triple, or it was a 787, from Sydney to LA, we had to turn right through the business class seats. And my daughter took it upon herself to sit down in one of them because that's what she was used to flying. Like, no, no, we're not up here today. She and was not happy about that. Yeah, the kids definitely have a hard time with that when they when they fly that and then they don't get to the next time. 
you mentioned that you flew uh, economy all the way to Australia, and that's that's something we had in common. We were both actually in Sydney on the same day and there for, for New Year's Eve, but we didn't manage to meet up because you got in late New Year's Eve, um, and I flew out early New Year's Day. But... I'm pretty sure I stole one of your pictures, too, <laughs> and pretended like it was my own. Yeah, well, you know, that happens. Uh, we were we are on opposite sides of the bridge, but uh, tell me a little bit about that trip because your your wife, uh, you said your, your daughter came in January, so your wife was very pregnant at that Seven point. Seven months. She was about the point where it was the cutoff, but the doctor gave us the okay. Okay, so, and, and you went to New Zealand before you came to Australia? We did. We flew uh, Christmas Eve. We, uh, we flew from L.A. to Auckland. Uh, we had Christmas Eve dinner at uh, P.F. Chang's, courtesy of the Priority Pass card. Well, four Priority Pass cards, I should say. I think we got $160 to spend there, which we managed to, to do pretty easily. Um, flew to Auckland over Christmas Eve. I don't think we even were around on Christmas Day because of the, the time change. Landed on the 26th and directly jumped on a flight down to Queenstown. Um, spent a few days there. Queenstown was a great city. Uh, the kids loved it. There was a lot to do, a lot to see. If they weren't so young, we probably would have got on an airplane or got on a helicopter and really gone and toured the area. Taking a look from the air. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed I, it. With the young kids, that's on those flights, there's often not a child discount. Um, and you really, if you're going to spend the money on the helicopter flights, you want to make sure that the kids are going to remember it. Oh, absolutely. With, with how old your kids are, they from personal experience, they're not going to remember it. They're going to enjoy it when they're there. They're going to have a great time, and they're going to kind of have a little bit of a memory of going to New Zealand, but they're, they won't remember that they went up in a helicopter and saw these amazing sights. So it's just, at now this we, point, not worth it to spend the money on it. Yeah, we rented a car. We drove, we drove inland a little bit and checked out some of the really cool lakes, lots of mountains coming out of those lakes. It was a really, really, really pretty area, something I haven't ever seen before. Yeah, and you mentioned you, you missed Christmas Day because of your flights. We we ended up going a day earlier, so we missed, we were in the air for the entirety of Christmas Eve. And we, oh, landed, nice. we landed Christmas morning in Sydney and then had a couple hour layover and flew up to Brisbane and got a rental car. And so we spent most of Christmas Day traveling, but missed Christmas Eve completely. But the, the flight attendants were pretty nice about it and they had little Christmas decorations and the flights were, uh, they had lights up on the overhead bins. What things, airline so. were you flying? Because American definitely didn't even acknowledge it. <laughs> uh, we were flying uh, Qantas. Oh, so uh, gotcha. It was, uh, they were very friendly about it. And I mentioned before, we were, we were both in Sydney for New Year's Eve, which I had, it was kind of a goal of mine. I don't, I don't know about you, but I had, I had heard from other people who had been there and I had kind of seen online that this was just an amazing New Year's celebration and one of the best in the world. And it had always been my goal to go there. And I have to say, it didn't disappoint. Other than the fact that it rained for several hours, and I missed that. I was in still the in the air, evening, so you were still in the air. We actually we uh, we had an aborted landing on the way into Sydney from Auckland. Oh yeah, you 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 were later than expected, right? Yep. And then the train, the the fifteen minute train from the airport into into Circular K was more like an hour and fifteen minutes. 
because you, for those that aren't familiar with Sydney, um, Levi and his family were staying kind of smack in the middle of where the New Year celebrations happened. So and everything was closed down. Every, they closed down the train station starting at, I don't know, like three o'clock in the afternoon and they closed down uh, a, lot of, a lot of the public transportation. So he, they kind of had to make their way to their hotel on their own which was a little tougher than you expected. <laughs> Absolutely, it was uh, the, the elevator ride up from the Metro was about 35 people deep. So my wife and I decided to take our luggage, take our kids and hoof it up the steps. And it took about four trips and a lot of arguing, uh, but we saved ourselves about 20 minutes there as well. Yeah, and we, on the other hand, we had been in Sydney for a couple of nights at that point. So we went to, uh, my wife had, had booked tickets at uh, the Barangaroo Reserve, which fantastic place to watch New Year's if you ever find yourself in Sydney. Um, but the weather did not cooperate. So that, it opened at six and it was kind of sprinkling a little bit uh, when it opened up. And we got in and by seven, it was just an absolute downpour. <laughs> and it was soaked. It worked out for us because we just kind of accepted that we were gonna be soaked. And when people left, we moved over and had one of the ideal spots at the place and had a beautiful, a beautiful view of the Harbor Bridge, which is where they do a lot of the fireworks from. How often does it rain in Sydney in summer? Uh, I don't know, but that day it was 100%. <laughs> it was, I don't think it's that often, and it was it was just bad luck, and we ended up soaked, but still, um, even both my kids, my wife and I, say we would do it again 100%, because oh, the show was amazing. They do uh, four barges, four or five barges down the river, and they do the show, fireworks shows from all of the barges, and they do uh, fireworks show from the, the Harbor Bridge and from where we were, we could see all of those shows. Um, so it was really, the tickets weren't crazy expensive. They had uh, a, a bar area where you could go and get drinks. You could buy bottles of champagne. You could, um, there was a DJ, they had bands. They had, it was really a, a cool experience. Lots of food trucks and things like that. Well, so. I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. We were in the rocks on a road. <laughs> headed downhill that you could only see the bridge so I didn't get to see the Opera House or the barges uh, and the, the police shut the road down about 1030 so you couldn't leave that area either unless you wanted to go back to your hotel oh so you were just stuck we Stand also there. we couldn't see the Opera House either that was on we were on the far side of the bridge from that but but overall I would definitely go back to where we were um, it, it was great. I guess let's tie things back in before we close here. Uh, we talked about your home brewing and your beer. We talked about uh, the, some of the travels you do with your family and yep. on your own. Let's talk about beer while traveling because that's, uh, again, a main focus of this podcast is uh, it, how, to, how to find the best beers and the local beers when you travel. How do you do that either when you're traveling on your own or how do you do that when you're traveling with your family, with the young kids? Well, usually they're in bed by 8, 8.15 and I, I tend to look for uh, somewhere to go down and enjoy a, a local beer by myself or uh, you know, basically on my own while uh, everyone's asleep upstairs. Usually the hotel bar is about the only option I get, but luckily they tend to have um, the local beers on tap. One of the things that I've done since I lived in, in London back in 1990, no, 2001, um, is take a glass from every country that I've been. Whether I buy it, I ask for it, or if I accidentally uh, put it under my hat, I have a glass from every country that I've been to. Um, 
that's, 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 a, that's a cool souvenir. That's my souvenir usually for, for wherever we go. Um, and that explains we had uh, a couple of your homebrews earlier today and they came in all different classes and that's, uh, I'm guessing, where those came from? I think you got the Victoria Bitter one, which was, was my latest from Australia. Yeah, which was, which was fitting since we almost saw each other there, just yeah. not not quite. So I, I guess we'll close with that. Uh, Levi, thank you. Thank you so much. Is, is there anything you want to say as far as where people can find you with your, your home brewing or your travel? Or are, is there any social media you want to shout out? Uh, not big into social media, really. I do Facebook, and that's about it. My wife uh, has a blog. It's trippingmama.com. And T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G-M-A-M-A. -M -A. She shut it down a for a little while, while uh, when baby number four came. But we are going to have a trip report from our trip to um, Dubai, Almaha. We stayed in Ras Al Khaimah at a couple of Ritz-Carlton properties in October. Talk about our Emirates first class flight, our Etihad first class flight, as well as our economy flights on American Airlines to Auckland and home from Australia. So we'll be... We'll be writing stuff up on that here uh, in the next week or so. So that's a, a great place for listeners to go if they want to hear about the adventures of traveling with four kids. I know it's a it's a, or three kids up to this point. It'll soon be four kids. It has nothing to do with points and miles. It is strictly how to survive traveling with children. With young kids especially, um, which is great because a lot of people are afraid to even do that. Um, so if you if you want to hear about that or read about that, uh, check out trippingmama.com. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Levi. Right, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that quick visit with Levi Grubb. He's a brave man, getting ready to travel the world with four kids who are six and under. Any of us who've traveled with our own kids will certainly understand why he started brewing beer at home. Thanks for sticking with us through the background noise and that bit of wind that we had to deal with. That's what happens when you're recording outdoors, and even the outdoor area of the brewery gets a lot busier while you're there to chat. All of the important points from this episode and links that we talked about will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything you missed the first time around. And that's all we have for episode two of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to hear all the new episodes we have coming down the line. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy too, and until next time... Safe travels, happy drinking, and cheers. We'll see you in the tap room. Thank you.
Sound.